0: Psalm chapter two. Uh, we are uh, going back and forth through between the book of uh, Proverbs and the book of Psalms on, um, on uh, Wednesday evenings, and um, when we think of Proverbs, there is a lot of it talks about how we uh, how we live our lives and um, how we can, I guess, we could say succeed in the affairs of men while we live in the world, heaven's wisdom for life on earth. And when we think about the psalm, the focus is not so much as how we live our lives on earth, but it focuses on our relationship to the Lord. Uh, and it's a psalm that is known as the hymn book, it's prayer, praise and prayer. And as we look through the book of Psalms, you find often that uh, the psalmist, m- many times it's David, he talks about Uh, his uh, difficulties that he's dealing with, and what does he do, just like the song we just sung, when there's moments of darkness, when life seems worthless, and you think it would be better if I were dead, and then he says he turns to the Lord, and then the Lord, he rolls the clouds away, and that's that's the book of Psalms uh, for us. Uh, The Lord, He is the one that rolls the clouds away. He he brings sunshine after the rain, and so that's a wonderful thing. Well, we find our place here in Psalm chapter 2, or the second Psalm, and as we uh, come to this, and and by the way, Paul, when he references this Psalm in, I believe, Acts chapter 13, he says in the second Psalm, and then he quotes it, And so uh, we know that this was uh, received in that order. So this is the order in which um, God gave the psalm. And so we had Psalm 1 begin with, Blessed is the man. And so we talked about uh, what it means to experience blessedness in our lives. And we see that blessedness is connected to something that we do. What is that? Those who delight in the law of the Lord... And those who meditate in His law day and night, those are the ones who experience blessedness. And remember I said that blessedness is not a result of something. It is while you're delighting and while you're meditating, you know the blessedness. We come to Psalm 2 and it's quite a different Psalm. Psalm 1, I would say, focuses on something that we must do in our lives to know blessedness. Psalm 2, however, focuses on what God does so that we might know blessedness. If you notice with me, the last verse of chapter uh, of Psalm 2 says this. At the end, the last part, blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. So Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who does what? Who meditates and delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 2 ends with blessedness. So Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who does this. This is something that we must do in our lives to know blessedness. Psalm 2 says, this is what God does. And so if we trust in God, then we know what blessedness is. And so I believe that both of those psalms are foundational to the entirety of the book of Psalm. This psalm is a messianic psalm. So notice with me Psalm uh, 2, verse 1. The Bible says, why... Do the heathen rage? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You look, you look around you, and you see all the things that are happening, and sometimes you just ask yourself, why? You know, we think particularly if we bring it at in today's society, what is going on? We could say in our country, maybe looking just inside of our country. I know there's you know war and things like that, things going on around. But if we think about our country, we think about uh, the the madness and the rage of those who are promoting the killing of children. And people are raging. And we ask ourselves, why do the heathen rage? Uh, it's interesting, even some people uh, recently came out and on, on public television basically were praising, they came out on Mother's Day and, all, and said it is a shame that uh, on Mother's Day mothers are not going to be able to abort their children. And I'm thinking, how mad? Why do the heathen rage? The Bible says, "...and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision." Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession." Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore. O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest He be angry and ye perish from the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in Him." I'd like to note the expression at the end of verse 12. The first psalm began with blessedness. The second psalm ends with blessedness. And so I'd like to preach this evening on the second psalm. The first psalm was, Blessed is the man, uh, and he shall be like a tree. This psalm is, Blessed are they that trust in the Lord. Blessed are they that uh, trust in the Lord. As we look at this psalm, I think there is many of the psalms, we know that there, are a, there is a double application. And what I mean by that is often uh, David being the uh, penman of uh, that particular psalm, often he speaks of himself, but often he relates what he says, and it's actually pointing us to Christ. And so I believe this is one of those psalms, but I think that the main emphasis of the psalms is not actually on David, it's actually on Christ. When it talks, for example, about the throne of David being an eternal throne, we know that we're not talking literally about David because David died. But rather we're talking about the seed of David, which is Christ. You remember as we open the book of Matthew, the Bible mentions the Genealogy of Jesus Christ as the son of Abraham, the son of David. And so the the emphasis here, although we could make an application, we will through the book of Psalms on David and things he was going through. I believe we come to Psalm 2, and there is no doubt that this psalm is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to primarily deal with this evening. As you look at this psalm, we can divide the psalm into four natural sections. I could say maybe five because the last part of verse 12 is its own section. It's kind of a summary of that whole chapter. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. But as you think about the structure of this psalm, uh, it's divided by three verses each. And so in the first part, we note, so I'll give you the outline, then we'll uh, expound on that. The first thing we find in the first three verses is we find the defiance of the heathen on earth. Uh, that's, we, that's how we open the psalm. And the, uh, many of the psalms often, they open in a dramatic fashion. With a, a big question. And here the big question is, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine of anything? Question mark. And then we proceed in the psalm. And so there is a dramatic entrance into the psalm. But we see first of all the defiance of the heathen on earth. And then from verse 4 through verse 6 we see the derision of the Lord in heaven. The Bible says in verse 4 that the Lord who sits in the heaven will laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Uh, That means that God, He mocks the raging of the heathen. And so we look at the derision of the Lord in heaven and then from verse 7 through 9 we see the decree the sun on Zion. If you notice, he turns the attention in verse 7 when he says, I will declare the decree. So the Bible tells us first the derision of the Lord concerning the heathen, but then he gives us the Lord's decree concerning the sun from verse 7 through verse 9. And then the last part will be verse 10 through verse 12, which is the declaration to the kings of the earth. There is a call. To those who are on the earth, who in the first part of the psalm are raging and have all kinds of vain imaginations, then God, uh, He laughs at them, God uh, uh, puts forth His decree and then God calls them or He declares something to those same people who were raging and had vain imaginations. And then the last part we'll see at the end of verse 12. We'll come to the conclusion, which is the delight of all those who trust in the Lord. So notice, first of all, as we consider uh, Psalm uh, 2, we see the defiance of the heathen on earth. And as we look here at this psalm, uh, I think we, we see the, the way the language is used here is that um, when you look at this, you know that it is talking about Jesus Christ. For example, Um. In verse 7, it says, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Notice verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. And so those as messianic prophecies are talking about something that is going to happen, but because God is speaking, it's already done. It has happened. And at the same time, The first question that is asked, why do the heathen rage, the way the question is asked is like this, why has the heathen always raged, why is he raging today, and why will he keep on raging? Why do the heathen rage? And so the idea there is, why do the heathen always do this in all all of life, past, present, and future? And yet at the same time we acknowledge that the things that God at that time said he, it were, were going to happen, it's already done. And so we have a twofold. You have the God who is steadfast and unmovable and the tumult and the defiance and the anger and the rage of men which is always ongoing. And let's, let's not think ourselves, and we think this is during the time of, of David Let's not think ourselves that we live in a new era and a new day as far as when it comes to human nature. Human nature is always the same, and human nature has always opposed God. You see that from the very beginning in Noah's day at the Tower of Babel. We could go on through all the examples uh, when men were as wicked as we are today. And so let's not think of ourselves here as if we, we live in a day that no man has ever faced. No, God is the same and man is the same. Now, I may be manifested differently. Men might have maybe more opportunity to voice his rage now in the, uh, in the time of uh, social media where people can say whatever they want and it goes around the world. And so no doubt there's more opportunities to do those things. But the point is the human nature is the same and man still does the same thing, although with a different platform. And so we see the defiance of the heathen on earth in verse 1 through 3. I want you to notice their defiance can be manifested, is manifested in three areas. First of all, in verse 1, we see that their defiance is manifested by their rage. The Bible says, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The question is, is why? And so they're defiant of God. Notice the, the context here indicates to us that it's not just a... A misplaced rage it's a rage against God and, and we need to understand as we observe in our world let's not be fooled by what, the, what, what, what is being said in the world for, for example we talked about a, I guess a few years ago when there was all the riots in the streets and there was a group that's labeled themselves Antifa well on one occasion they gathered themselves on, on a road and, and they put forth a stack of books and Bibles and then they burned them now they say, well, we uh, we want uh, justice and we want, the, well, I think their slogan was, no justice, no peace. And they went tearing buildings and burning cars and all. But at the same time, they burn a stack of Bibles. You see, understand the rage is not against buildings. It's not against the government. It's not against cars. The rage is against God. You even think today, and I mentioned this last Wednesday, you think we have a, a whole... Uh, political uh, party and group of people who are... Even today, the United States Senate tried to pass a bill legalizing abortion all the way up to birth. And let's not be fooled. Many of these people who claim some type of religion affiliation, religious affiliation, some of them who even claim uh, to believe in God... Uh, by the things that they're doing, what are they doing? They are raging against the God they say they believe in. You see, the opposition is a rage against God. You think even in or early on, and I think it's in the 3rd um, or 4th century, there was a medal that was struck by uh, Diocletian bearing the following inscription. He was the Roman emperor, and he said this, The name of Christianity being extinguished. In Spain, two monuments were raised on which were written on on the first pillar. Diocletian is recognized as having done this. For having extended the Roman Empire in the East and the West and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin. Diocletian. He... Put a monument of himself saying he had extinguished Christianity. Well, there's news for him. We're still around. The second monument pillar uh, was recognized. He was recognized. Diocletian was recognized for having adopted uh, Galerius in the East, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of gods. Again, there's news for him. Christ is still alive today, no matter what Diocletian said, or no matter what monument bears his name in that inscription. Even you can think about the French philosopher Voltaire. He once said, a hundred years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. Well, a hundred years later, after his death, the French Bible Society set up its headquarters in Voltaire's old home in Paris. And so what he, what he said would one day be extinguished. Actually, the society bought his home and used it to print Bibles and to sell Bibles. Praise the Lord. But why do the heathen rage and the people imagine of anything? You see, the opposition is against God. There is something about man that just wants to defy God. Even a segment of our population who says, well, uh, claim, I guess, some form of atheism say, well, we don't believe in God, but that yet they so vehemently oppose God and they write bo- bo- books about God they are so uh, enamored with somebody who to them doesn't exist. That's peculiar, isn't it? How can you rage against something that is not alive? but they rage. You know the word rage means tumultuous. This is the description of something that uh, cannot be quelled or stopped. It, it actually is a word that was commonly used during that time uh, when a horse snorts where uh, the, the the horse is either agitated or excited and the ho- horse snorts and sometimes you can't uh, you know you can't quell the horse because he's so agitated. I, I just heard I think there was a uh, The Kentucky Derby, and I'm not advertising it, but there's, I guess, a a horse won the race that was not supposed to run the race, and they were, I just saw a clip, of video after the race, the horse was so agitated, he began biting the other horses and riders. And so the idea here is that agitation, something that cannot be quelled, and and so, and by the way, that's what we see all around us. There's people, they are raging. There was just a woman just recently. I guess she is so attached to the platform of abortion. She stood before a church, really lewdly dressed, and she had a, I guess, some, I guess, a, a baby doll and all kinds of things. And she was pretending to have been giving birth, and she stood in front of the church tearing the doll apart and saying, I'm killing my baby, I'm killing my baby. And she was raging, rolling around on the floor outside a church. How sick. Rage. Out of control. Oh, oh, and, and by the way, let me just say this. If that describes the heathen world, should that ever describe the Christian? A rage that cannot be quelled As a matter of fact, the Bible makes that one of the requirements for pastor and deacons. That if that's you, you you don't qualify for that office. And so it should not be seen in the people of God. And so we see here the, the rage, the tumult. Why do the people rage? And the Bible says the people imagine a vain thing. The idea here, the word imagine, speaks of what these people are focusing on. It is interesting to consider that the word image, imagination here... Uh, is, or imagine, is the same word, Hebrew word, as meditate that we find in verse 1, when it says, um, blessed is the man, but his delight is on the the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate. And so here, the idea of imagine has the same idea and application. It is the dwelling upon something, the exercising your mind about something, and so the people who are raised, they're consumed about something. And whatever they're consumed about is this, how can I oppose God? That's what they're consumed with. What the people imagine is declared here to be a vain thing. Now we know the word vain. The word vain means, means empty. Empty. It means worthless. It means with no purpose. They rage about and they dwell upon that which is without value or without purpose. They completely give themselves to things that are going to pass away. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, what? Passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so the things of the world, guess what? They're going to pass away. And so we see the rage and the vain imagination. And so we see here, first of all, that the defiance of the heathen is manifested by their rage. Rage. By their rage. You see, as Christians, what is the reaction? Because we, we ask ourselves, all right, Pastor, we, we hear about those things, and well, what is to be our sentiment? You think about those who are promoting promoting the killing of children? You're talking about even our local libraries here in Delaware, who have drag queens, men dressed as women, to read to little children. That's appalling. Uh, you you think about uh, what is going on, and we we think about uh, the, the 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 rage of the heathen, and so we ask ourselves, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine uh, a vain thing, and so it's against all those things. is against the design of God, and they're trying to understand. It's not about uh, all being equal, and and. Uh, um, love and let love and let people live as they please. No, there is an agenda to stamp God out. So what is, how, how are we supposed to react? Are we supposed to go to the library and burn the library down? Is that what we do? Is that how, is that how we respond I suggest to you that we should respond the way that God's people have always responded when they were met with such abominable things in their sight, such as Jeremiah, who lived in a time of ungodliness where even the own children of Israel would offer their own children as sacrifices to false gods. And what did Jeremiah do? He wept. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem and the people that refused to come to him, what did he do over Jerusalem? He wept. And I just wonder how much weeping there is in the people of God. I think that we have to examine our own hearts if we're over here kind of raging and getting all stirred up and we never get to the place where we weep over the sin of our country. I think there's something wrong. You see, the response for God's people is not rage like the world. That's what the world does. They're out of control. But our heart aches for God. You see, God is going to make things right. Do we believe that? But God is not willing that any should perish, but He is long-suffering. He is long-suffering. And God aches, and so I believe that our heart, if it is to reflect the, the, the heart of God, is not a heart of rage. It's a heart of brokenness and sadness for the sin around us. So we see their defiance is manifested in the rage, but we also see, secondly, that their defiance is manifested by their rivalry. Notice in verse 2, he says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, here it is, against the Lord and against His anointed. Now, there's no doubt that that is a direct reference to what even Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 when he says that, uh, they by wicked hands and he quotes Psalm 2 uh, by saying that you did exactly what Psalm 2 did uh, Psalm 2 says and so he says you fulfilled the the messianic prophecy of Psalm 2 Peter says that uh, Paul says that later in Acts chapter 13 and so this is the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy but the truth is that's always been uh, done uh, by those who are the kings of the earth and those who are the rulers who take counsel together notice again, Against the Lord and against his anointed. You see, the idea here, the word, the expression here, they set themselves against. The word set here means basically to place yourself. To place yourself. The place they set themselves here, the Bible says, is against the Lord. They make themselves the enemies of somebody else. They have declared themselves to be the enemies of somebody, someone else. They have made themselves the, the enemies, if you would. If you think about kings, and uh, the Bible says kings, and the rulers. And so we think about those who stand in the ruling class. What do they do? Well, by saying that there are kings and rulers, what we see here is they've made themselves the enemies of another one's agenda. You see, God has an, inge- an agenda in this world. Now, I guess you could say the agenda in, all, in the end will be righteousness will prevail. And righteousness will prevail when Jesus Christ comes again. And he will rule with the rod of iron. Righteousness will prevail. So what's the opposing agenda? Unrighteousness. You see, the agenda that we have in the world is what? It is an unrighteous agenda. Yes. Um. The transgender movement is an unrighteous movement. I couldn't believe when I heard one of the, I think it was the, um, I, I'm pretty sure it was the the head of the Democratic Party in the House, um, Nancy Pelosi, who, who said this, um, we need to have righteous anger against, the Supreme Court justices. Righteous anger. Whatever she's promoting is not righteous. It is unrighteous. The killing of children is not righteous. It is unrighteous. That word should never come from her mouth. Because her agenda is one of unrighteousness. By saying those things, she is setting herself, not against abortion or Against life, she's setting herself against God. That's what she's doing. So we, we we think about that. They set themselves against they notice they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The expression here to take counsel together tells us that they basically secretly scheme and plan this opposition note that their counsel is against someone. And you say, well, how is that done? Well, think about it. They take counsel together. And so you know what? They don't call it the killing of the unborn. They said the removing of fetus. We we, we have to terminate the pregnancy. So they get together and they think to themselves, how can we fool everybody? How can we appeal to the world? They take counsel together in this agenda against God because they don't want to say, hey, we're against God. They're going to pretend that they're not against God. They're even going to say they're religious and they believe in God, but they take counsel against God nonetheless. God's Word tells us that they have set themselves against the Lord. They take counsel together against the Lord. The enemy of the kings and, and rulers is, uh, the, yeah, the enmity is against the Lord Himself, the rage of the heathen is against the Lord. The vain imagination of the people is against the Lord. But not just against the Lord, the Bible says, is also against His anointed. You see, ultimately, at the end of the road, you'll find that people have a problem with Jesus Christ. That's the problem. Why? Because Jesus said, as we preach, I am the way, the truth, And the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the only way. There is no other way. Well, the world doesn't like that. We need many ways. Your truth is your truth. And you can have your truth. That's good. No, no, no. There is only one truth. And ultimately, who is the truth? Jesus Christ Himself. He is the Word. He Himself is truth. And so what do they oppose? They oppose the anointed. They oppose the truth. They oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we know who the anointed of the Lord is, Jesus Christ, the Son. He is called in verse 7, the Son. Again in verse 12, kiss the Son. And so the heathen, the people, the kings of the earth, they... They rage, they stand against, they take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And so there's no wonder as to what they're doing. Their banner is clear. You see our Lord Jesus Christ is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the creator, creator of the world uh, of everything that we see and that we don't see. And it is by His power that all things to, today consist in His wisdom. He, is, he has fashioned the world. He created man in His own image and after His own likeness. And yet those who are created are raging against the One who gives them breath. They have aligned themselves against their Creator. They have devised wicked imagination against the Lord. You see, their behavior is the outflow of who they have made their enemy. So we see that their defiance is manifested in their rage. It is manifested in their rivalry. But also, thirdly, their defiance is manifested by their reviling. Now, notice with me verse 3. It says, So this is what they say. This is what they say. Ready? So those who rage and who imagine vain things, who set themselves, who take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, this is what they say. What is this all about? What is it that they revile, that they detest, that they're so passionate against? Notice verse 3. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's what they say. The words here, their bands and their cords, is a uh, is a reference back to if you think about the Lord and His anointed, whose bands and whose cords is He referring to? Notice, He just said they set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their bands." Whose bands? The Lord and His anointed. Uh, and uh, cast away their cores from us. And so they view the Lord, when they think about God, the reason why they rage, the reason why they take counsel, is because they view the Lord as uh, someone who keeps people in bondage. Uh, they intend to free themselves of God. They want, they want independence of God. That's what they rage about. Let me live as I please. Uh, let me sin. And so what they'll do is, they know the sin is wrong. And so what they do is, they grab the society, and they try to influence the society, so that the society passes laws that says, hey, it's okay how you live. And so they think, if they have the recognition of society, then therefore, uh, God uh, will be out of the picture, and then they can live as, as they please, and it will be warranted. They want freedom from God. You see, the Word of God and His laws are, are looked upon as a hindrance to their desires and to their freedom, where you could say, to their lost. It is not only the law that they want to be loosened from, but also from the gospel of the Anointed One. You see, they want they, they don't want an exclusive, I am the way, the truth, and the life." They want it to have it their way. They do not want the specific law of God proclaimed, nor do they want the exclusive gospel message propagated. I mean, isn't it unbelievable that you had, most of our public schools used to have a a plaque of the Ten Commandments hanging on them. And students often, before they, somewhere, when they walk through the halls of their public schools, or even as they go into the public school, there will often be a banner or the laws uh, printed, Honor thy father and thy mother. That's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, You think about the other ones. Thou shalt not kill. That's a good one, isn't it? Uh, Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't don't lie. And you would think that those principles of morality uh, would would help a society, but they say, we have to rid ourselves of God. You see, it's not about the Ten Commandments. It's about the God who commanded those to be done. And so they want to uh, defy uh, God. They uh, revile God. And even the things that are good, they will call evil. Why? Because it comes from God. Let's, Let's break their bands. Let's cast away their courts from us. We want to have nothing to do with God. And so the plan is clear. They intend to rid themselves and a society of God. You see, they want to break and they want to... So the word break means freedom, live as I please, and then cast away. Let's rid the cords so that they're out of our sight, so that we don't remember the fact that we wanted to break free. You see, they want to be free to do as they please. They do not want to be reminded of the Lord and His rule. We live in a society that does not want to be restrained by God and His Word. I was just uh, reading a, an article, and somebody was was saying that, oh, uh, now that if and by the way, abortion is is uh, as much as as the it actually does nothing to reverse abortion. It just brings it to the states. The states will make their own decisions. It doesn't. So I I don't know why, why even people are so mad about it because it doesn't outlaw abortion. The states will do what they want with it. Now I'm sure some states who are more uh, biblically minded will probably. Uh, ban at some measure, but I don't think any state will ban it altogether. I just don't think it's happened. Now, if it does, I will praise the Lord for that. I just don't think it will happen. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just saying that's probably reality. But you hear people when when, when they they speak of that, you you, you think about well, what what is the mindset. They they want to be rid of the rules of God. And so we live in a society that does not want to be restrained by restrained by God or His Word. And, and so you have people now who are saying all kinds of strange things. They they don't even know. In society, we are increasingly getting to the place where they, they people in our government have changed some of the laws to say now it's Instead of bir- uh, you know, women, they say it's birthing people. And so there are people in our society who, who say that men can get pregnant. Let me just be very clear, clear men cannot get pregnant, only women can. But now, as soon as abortion, they say, oh, this is a human uh, or a, a violation of women's rights, well, so you don't even know what a woman is. You know when the Bible says the Lord shall have him in derision, they make absolutely no sense. All logic is all out the window. You know, when you first say God, that's what happens. All logic goes out a window. You become like a mad person, and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a, a group after you who will agree with your madness. And they've done a pretty good job of doing that. You see, their rage in verse 1 is the opposite of restrained their flesh is raging they went want to continue in their wicked imagination without any hindrance or any opposition that's exactly what is described by the way in Romans 1 we won't go there for sake of time but we see first of all in our text the defiance of the heathen on earth but then we turn our attention I have to hasten I, I spent too much time in that first part we see the derision of the Lord in heaven now notice the contrast. The Bible says the heathen are raging. Notice the kings of the earth. So we're in the earthly realm. And people in the earth are raging against God. What God? The God in heaven. And then we turn in verse 4 and we turn our attention to the Lord. The Bible says he that sitteth in the heavens. And so we've been on earth and there's the raging of the people on earth. And then we are immediately ushered into heaven. And we think about the one who created all things. The one who has the earth as his footstool. The one who carries all the waters of the world in the palm of his hands. The one who considers the greatest nation in the world as nothing but just just a drop, one drop in the bucket, which is absolutely nothing. And so we now come to heaven, we're ushered into heaven, and we see the derision of the Lord. And the Bible says, notice in verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, And the Lord shall have them in derision. And so we think about the derision of the Lord here in heaven. We see the futility of the heathen. Uh, The expression here, verse 4, is how ridiculous it is for the heathen of the world to, to rage against a God that they cannot touch. To insult a God who at any moment could cut them off from the face of the earth at any moment could blot them out. And yet they rage as, uh, as children and they're, they're out of control. And do you see here, well, the Bible says, uh, when we go to heaven, he that sitteth in the heavens. Do you see the world, all the rage, the people running around, going crazy, going out to people's houses and just raging so that they can kill children. Uh, people have just completely lost their minds. And uh, uh, do you see here, and we see the rage on earth and everybody's going crazy. And then in heaven, this is the Lord. He's not moving, he's sitting in heaven. You know, when people rage, we might like run away from the rage. If you see like a group of people coming down your street, like, oh no, let's barricade the the doors and or you run away, you go the other direction. And God is just sitting there. He that sitteth in the heavens, who is unmoved by the rage of the heathen, he will laugh. He will have them in derision. In other words, it is completely futile to think about the rage of the heathen. It is the futility of the heathen. We see see them on earth all bustling around, raging, and then God is just sitting in heaven unmoved. Many of these people will say, Oh, if there was a God! Always claiming those outrageous statements, and if they only knew that God, the only reason that He does not stamp them out at this very moment is because he is a gracious and merciful God. If you ever, we just in the Bible, so we just uh, study through the book of Revelation, and so in the book of Revelation, you have the stages, and so you have the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, and the seven vials, and we're talking about the judgment of God, and the question may be asked, Well, why does God do things in stages? And so a stage of seven, and then another seven, another seven, and we think, well, why would God do that in stages? There's only one reason. So I think about three times through the book of Revelation, as those judgments are unfolding, the Bible says, and they would not repent. Why does God do things in stages at the end? Because He still wants men to repent. Because God is gracious and merciful. Even in the end, as he's pouring out his judgment, we remember uh, what Joel says, In wrath, remember mercy. And that's the kind of God we have. If only these same people who would rage against God and who deride God, if they only knew how gracious and merciful God was towards them. Romans 2 says, The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. We see the futility of the heathen, but then we see the fury of the Holy One. Notice in verse 5, the Bible says, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. He, who is he speaking to? To the heathen. Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Obviously, the wrath of God is the wrath that God is just. And by the way, one day he will judge sin. We know that uh, sin was judged in the person of Jesus Christ, and everybody who is not in Christ one day will be judged. And so he speaks to them and he says, the wrath is is coming, indignation is coming, you will be judged for your action, no sin will go unpunished. Let me say that again, no sin will go unpunished. You either have trusted Jesus Christ, who paid for all your sins, or you will pay for your own sins in hell. No sin will go unpunished. And so the Lord speaks of His wrath. We see the fury of the Holy One. He shall, uh, notice, and vex them in His sore displeasure. The idea of vex means disappoint. You see, they think that they can free themselves of God. And they're going to be vexed. They're going to be sorely disappointed because they're going to find the, actually the opposite has happened. Actually, they don't realize while they're trying to liberate themselves and have freedom, they're finding themselves to be in bondage. We see the futility of the heathen, the fury of the Holy One, but then we see the finality of the Holy Hill. Notice in verse 6, he says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. It's interesting what God says here. So God is in heaven, and notice... We see the futility of the heathen. God laughs. He, he has them in derision. Uh, we see here the, the fury that he, he will judge sin. He will vex them. He will disappoint them. And then he declares, we see the finality of the holy hill. He says, I, notice, uh, uh, yet have I set. Notice the word yet. While the world rages, God has already done something. And now here, Psalm 2, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. If you study Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find that we are not come to Mount Sinai, but ye are come to Mount Zion uh, to, uh, to Jesus Christ, the mediator. That's who we're come to. And so when we think here uh, about the, the finality of the Holy Hill, we're pointing to Jesus Christ. And by the way, one day Jesus Christ will come and He will rule with a rod of iron. He will sit upon the throne of David on earth and He will rule and reign for a thousand years. And by the way, that's already done. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet, but it's done because God says it's done. He says, I have set my King upon my Holy Hill of Zion. It is just as good as done. And nobody can do anything to stop it. And so, we see the derision of the Lord. The futility of the heathen, the fury of the Holy One, and the finality of the Holy Hill. And we see, number three, the decree to the Son on Zion. Notice, he turns here to the Son, and notice what he declares in verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. So, as we think about the decree to the Son of Zion, we see that he will declare to the Son... Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. In Acts chapter 13, Paul, he speaks of the resurrection. And he says, and he quotes Psalm chapter 2. Understand, when the Bible says he is the only begotten of the Father, when we're thinking about begotten, it's attached to firstborn. We're not talking about his incarnation and his birth. We're talking about his resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, he was raised that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that's not talking about His incarnation. He saved us not by His birth, but by the cross. And when He was raised from the dead, He was raised for our justification. And so the idea of the begotten is the fact that here, obviously, we are unveiled. If we only know Psalm two, but as we know the remainder of the New Testament, we see here that he will declare the Son and the Son. Uh, notice, uh, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. He's talking here about uh, the work of the cross that God would send His Son Jesus Christ for the punishment of sin and He would die for the sins of the world and He would be buried and after three days He would rise again from the dead for our justification. He will declare the Son. He will give to the Son. Notice in verse 8, Ask of Me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Well, I believe here this is talking about the millennial kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to come and He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He tells us that in verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. And so Jesus Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to rule in righteousness for a thousand years as He comes to establish His kingdom in this world. And so He's going to give to the Son uh, His inheritance, and that is the uttermost parts of the earth for His possession. Why? Because he is king. He is king. He will declare to the sun. He will give to the sun. He will also. Bra- he will also. Uh, notice in verse nine: Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He will break with the sun. So God, he talked early on about the fact that he uh, will. Uh, Speak unto them in wrath. He will vex them in his sword of pleasure. How is God God going to do that? He's going to do that with the Son. Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And He's going to make things right. And so the Lord will break them with the Son. With the rod of iron. He's going to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so we see the decree to the Son of Zion isn't it interesting here that he talks about the rage of the heathen? They want to be free of God. And then God says, I'm just and I'm going to judge sin. And I'm going to set up my king. But then he brings us to a, um, a prophecy of the Son and who, what he would do for us. And he's declaring here, the context is, I will declare the decree. Well, who is he declaring the decree to? To those who oppose him. Isn't that amazing that those who oppose God, God gives them the answer so that they might not remain in their wickedness? The answer is who? The answer is in the sun. You see, as much as we look around us, we look at the world and we, uh, the raging world... Let's understand and be convinced that the answer for them is not a political scene change or us trying to convince and reason with them. They need to be born again by the Spirit of God. It's the only way that they will change their minds. Some of you probably even before you got saved, you had those views that Uh, many people who are anti-God and anti-Scripture, hell, but now you've been changed uh, by the Spirit of God, and now you you love the Lord, the one who you used even uh, unknowingly used to deride. And now you love Him. And so we see, the last section, only the decree of the Son on Zion, but we see the declaration to the kings on the earth. And so in verse 1, we see the raging of the heathen. Verse 2, in heaven, God is unmoved, but God devised a plan. And then we see that His plan was to send His Son for the redemption of man. And then we see the last section is here is a call to the same people who are raging in verse 10. Be wise now, therefore. O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in the Lord. We see the declaration to the kings of the earth. There is a call, first of all, to be wise. Be wise, therefore. O kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. You see, part of the mission of the church is a call for people to be wise. To think about life. To think about the fact that one day they're going to stand before a holy God and if they stand in their sin they will be damned to hell. But if they stand in Christ there will be an eternity in heaven with Him. There's a call to be wise. Why would you uh, turn away from that be wise he says, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. You, you would think that uh, the God would just say, let's just wipe all of them out. But then he calls them to be wise. Uh, he, he says, stop continuing in your wickedness, in your foolishness, in your rage, in your vain imagination. Be wise. And by the way, the Lord is still calling on people to be wise. And it's wonderful to see people who turn to the Lord and they become wise. We see also a call to serve the Lord. He says in verse 11, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's interesting, those words, the combination of those words. Serve, be a servant of the Lord. That means what? You do the opposite of breaking their bands, casting their course from us. They're saying, Lord, I want to serve you. Can I be your servant? Would you, would you bind me again? But it's not a, oh, no, it's because of what he's done for us, we want to serve him. No, we want to live for him. He says, notice, serve the Lord, notice, with fear, and here it is, rejoice with trembling. And so we think, serve, fear? Why would you want to serve someone whom you fear? And he says, and rejoice with trembling. Well, if you think about the first three verses, it would make sense that the one who has been raging against God And the one who's been, I want to be free of God and I want to rid myself of God who turns now and be wise and says, serve God. He's thinking, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I've been so foolish. I've raged against you. Would you forgive me? And yet he knows he has forgiveness but yet there's some part of him who knows he doesn't deserve that forgiveness. He deserves the wrath of God. So he rejoices but he's still trembling. Why? Because he knows God. You see, he knows that God is holy and just, but at the same time, he knows that God is merciful and gracious. So we see a call to be wise, a call to serve the Lord, and lastly, a call to kiss the Son. What is that? Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. But well, remember, the whole idea there is, David, come up here. Thank you. You're not in trouble, just so you know. You remember they wanted to rid themselves of God, and so... We're going to pretend here that David represents righteousness. And so the heathen wanted to rid themselves of God. And so what is it? They, they, they go like this. I want to be free, cast away from him. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You go away. You're o- over there. Well, what does kiss the sun mean? It's the opposite. It's the opposite. So you've cast him. You've pushed him away. And the world wants nothing to do with God. And he says, Be wise. Serve the Lord with fear. Kiss the son. What does that mean? It's not the rejection of him. It's... That's the traditional French greeting. But what is that in in the Bible? It's affection. A willingness to have communion and fellowship. It's the, the friendship of a relationship. Kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish is, isn't it amazing that the one who is righteous looks on the one who derided and raged against him who is the same one who calls them and say hey come kiss the sun. I'm, I'm here you have the opportunity to come would you come what an opportunity thank you you may be seated good job So we see the declaration to the kings of the earth, a call to be wise, a call to serve the Lord, and a call to kiss the Son. But lastly, I want to bring your attention to the last part of verse 12. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. You see, here's the truth of this psalm. As I mentioned earlier, throughout all time periods in history, the heathen have always raged. Throughout all periods of, the year, of, of time in human history, God has sat in the heavens and He's laughed at them and He knows that uh, sin will be dealt with, it will be made right, and He's provided through His Son an opportunity and He has called them to be wise, to get things right. And so it's left up to them to make that decision. But then, he says, and just so we know, blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Why would he say that? Why? Well, because we are still in the world and we live in the world and we see all that we see around us. You know who experiences blessedness in this life? Based on verse 1, it's those who delight, meditate in the law of the Lord. Blessed on uh, uh, um, based on Psalm two, it's those who trust in Him, when nobody else is. You see, the the psalmist here turns our attention. So you want to know blessedness? Verse one, he says, you want to know blessedness? Do this. Delight in the law of the Lord, meditate there in day and night, and you'll be blessed. You will know what blessedness is. Number two, you need a second part also, because. You can meditate on the law of the Lord, but somewhere along the line you can maybe lose hope, and you can look around you, and you can be distracted by the rage of the heathen and everybody that opposes God, and you might lose some fervor, but just remember what is he trying to do? said so this is what God has done, and this is what God is doing. Don't lose hope in God. You want to know blessedness in this life? Trust in the Lord. Have faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Now, do you remember where, where is God? He's in heaven, and what is He doing in heaven? He is sitting. He is is not troubled by anything that is going on in the world. He is not troubled by anything that is going on in the world. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. So what does that mean? If we trust in Him... And He is not troubled, should we? Pastor, don't you see what's going on? I see what's going on. But I see God better. I see what's going on in the world. But if I'm going to have blessedness in this life, while the world rages, I'm going to be focused on the Lord. And the fact that He is not troubled. So anywhere, anytime you, you think to yourself, Pastor, well, my children, what, what world are they going to grow up in? I think the better question is ask ourselves this question. Is the God of the time of Noah the same God we have today? He is. Is the same God that helped you through your life going to be the same God that's going to help your children through their lives? So you know what? I'm not going to be troubled for the world my children are going to grow up in. Why? Because I know the same God will be available for them who's always been available for every generation and He's still, when there are adults in this world, He's still going to be on the throne and He's still going to laugh at the wickedness of the heathen. You see, what should characterize our lives as Christians in a raging world? Trusting in the Lord. We should be unmoved because God is unmoved. Let's pray.